This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Well, talking about not books, but golf. Do you love it? Or do you think it's the way to ruin a good walk? Today's book, The Albatross, starts and finishes at a golf course. But there is so much in between. Welcome, Nina Wan. Hi, Jan. Thank you for having me here. You've written about Primrose Lee. She's 36 years old, married to Adrian. They've got a six-year-old daughter. And Elaine is also an important person in her life. What's Elaine's job? Elaine is um, a kind of therapist that Primrose uh, talks to on a regular basis. But they have an interesting relationship because... I think it's implied through the book that Primrose is not necessarily always telling her the truth. And in fact, she's actively, actively leaving things out. So it's an interesting dynamic. Why? What's her obsession? What's Primrose's obsession? Why does she go to Elaine? Well, Primrose at the age of 36 finds her marriage really teetering on the brink. And her husband... Uh, has grown distant in the aftermath of a cancer battle, but she herself is suffering from this strange compulsion to clean the house all the time. Um, And I think as the book goes on, it becomes gradually clearer why she's doing it. But it's, it's a really, like, it's a very overpowering thing that's kind of almost taken over her life and that she, she just has lost complete control over, you know, how often she's got to do it. Well, her husband's been very ill and she was worried that germs could kill her husband Mm. and this grew into the tension in their marriage Mm. but Primrose can't voice this tension Mm. she's got a problem with saying things Mm. because well because she English is not her first language Mm -hmm. and I'm going to get Nina to read from page 45 sure This is a passage that that describes um, kind of the early days of Primrose coming to Australia at the age of eight I still remembered my father's grand announcement as our plane touched down. We were now on the largest island in the world, exclamation point. It was probably the only time I ever saw him get excited. In hindsight, what he said seemed a touch irrelevant, when there were so many other things he could have said. He could have said, for instance, that the first year here would be like being a deaf-mute, running around guessing at what people meant and in what way they meant it, and if they were even talking to you. He could have said the second year would be only marginally better, that it'd be like finally realising you could talk, but that you spoke with a stutter. He could have also taken the time to mention that by the third year you would feel almost normal again, since, like the rest of the children, you could now eat a meat pie piping hot from the tuck shop without having the fillings or sauce drip all over your jumper. Oh, how to feel Australian, eating a meat pie. Yes. But it's these, it's reading that gives her the problem, not writing. Mm. She can write very well. In fact, her honour thesis was about how CEOs use humour as a tool to distract the market from their poor performance. I thought that was great. Mm. And she's got this political insightfulness that really helped her with her work. So where was she a journalist? She's a journalist at this political newspaper called Criterion, which is actually set up by someone that she vaguely knew in in high school. And I think the idea of that kind of came perhaps from my own background as a journalist at the Australian Financial Review. And so much like 
the financial review, the focus of the criterion was kind of like on corporate activism, about, about talking about you know the corporate sector and the machinations that go on there. We eventually learn why she stopped working. Now she's a housewife with this cleaning obsession. Mm. But Elaine's word, get dressed, join the world, engage in something that requires removing yourself from the house. Mm. So where does she go? Well, she goes to a golf course of all places. <laughs> I, th- I think in lots of people's minds, it, you know, when they think about golf courses, they think about the kind of like nice, pristine, kind of private club type golf courses. But where she goes is a dilapidated inner city suburban golf course that is nearing the end of its days. It's poorly maintained because it's been losing money for years and um, it's about to be shut down. So she goes there and starts to play golf very terribly. And in so far as this is a book about golf, it's really just about a woman who plays golf terribly throughout the whole book and somehow manages to find a sense of meditation and betterment through it. <laughs> there she, you know, there's a lot to do in this book about, you know, your, ba- your background and, you know, who your parents were and who your grandparents were. And it's young Josh at the golf course. His great-grandfather planted some of the trees that are on the course. His grandfather did the painting in the clubhouse. He's been playing here for 15 years. What does he do for Primrose? I mean, he's really the first person that she meets on the golf course. And so she, um, and so she, he's effectively her introduction to golf. And he gives her some very interesting advice and in a way encourages her to come back again and again. And he's the one that teams her up with Harriet. And so that's probably the most important thing that he has done for her is to introduce her to Harriet who then becomes her companion. Oh, yes. Well, Primrose has watched a lot of golf by watching Peter. Mm. Oh, and this links Peter and Primrose back to where? Well, Peter and Primrose met in high school and they had a brief romance which didn't really end up going anywhere, but... 20 years later, by a twist of fate, they find themselves living across the street from one another. And so that becomes sort of the central story of this book, which is about the way in which they fell in love when they were teenagers, Mm -hmm. but also about the second chance that they can have kind of been handed. So, of course, Peter has a wife, Mm -hmm. Louisa, and... They don't have children. Here's a few quotes. She's the kind of person who would prefer decorative taxidermy to real-life things. And their house is a homage to whimsical modern abstractions, all of which are expensively curated. It is often hard for visitors to know the difference between a piece of furniture you can use and a sculpture you must not touch. <laughs> Louisa is the same age and wants to be friendly. They, they hold lavish parties and Primrose and Adrian are always asked, so how does Primrose and her friend from years gone by, Peter, how do they react when they see each other? They have very restrained interactions, very muted interactions, because Primrose is not necessarily keen to revisit the past and in fact maybe is slightly afraid of what might happen if um, she lets the pass back through her doors. And so while they are living across the street, 
they don't really talk to each other that much and they haven't told anyone else that they were a couple (laughs) in high school. Um, And so there is this uh, sense that, yeah, maybe they want to just forget about it and just let these feelings lie where they are. Well, not only do they share this past, but they also share an ethnic background, Mm. which becomes very evident at a drunken dinner party with the talk about Chinese people being spies for China. Mm. And Primrose is put on the the spot. Mm -hmm. How does she react? She reacts by saying nothing. Mm. And I think that's the kind of reaction that a lot of people have when they are faced with this kind of overt, uh, these overt assumptions and stereotypes. For me, certainly, you know, when back in the year 2019, when sort of the talk about foreign interference was kind of at its height, it was very difficult for me to respond to that kind of rhetoric myself. I found it difficult because I, as a person that came to Australia at the age of 10, I just always thought it's better to stay quiet and uncritical uh, and that was a way that will allow people to kind of embrace me as an Australian. So I really never thought about how to overtly stand up for myself in that way. Um, And so Primrose in the same situation is caught in this sort of dilemma and she's the kind of person that internalises a lot anyways and so it was a difficult, you know, a difficult dinner party conversation. Yes. Look, there's some wonderful descriptions of golf here in the in the book, just about how to play it, and mm. and of course we have to go back to that title, the mm. albatross. Can you explain what the albatross is? Yeah, so the albatross is a very rare thing that happens on the golf course. So imagine you're standing on the longest hole, which is a par five, and you put the ball into the hole in two strokes, and somewhat counterintuitively, it's rarer than a, a hole in one and so so it's really like a whole the holy grail yes. of go- for golfers and there's something strange about the fact that it takes not one but two shots to achieve this because you have to really make two consecutively good shots to get there it becomes a much more intentional act whereas a hole in one is kind of a fluke everybody says you know, like it's just an accident of luck, really. But um, but an albatross kind of transcends that because you got to make one shot after after another. Yeah. Look, there's so many funny things in this. If you're a golfer, you'll laugh out loud about the description of the hybrid and things. And we also get a history of golf. You, the Mary Queen of Scots back in 1567, the first women's golf tournament in 1811, and then. Look, there is so much more. Primrose has problems. It's not just her obsessiveness, but her marriage, her journalistic career, her first love living over the road, and her entitled brother-in-law coming to stay. Nina Wan writes humorously about golf, perhaps not being the answer in The Albatross. Thank you, Jan. And um, two debut authors and two novels with reference to birds, which is interesting. I'll introduce mine now. Vera is our protagonist in Michelle Yeager's debut novel, Bird Bones, and the reader is given a picture of Vera's life in a narrative that mixes past and present, story and truth. So, Michelle, welcome to 3CR. Thank you, David, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. First and foremost, 
you need a sort of poetic sensibility, I think, to read this work. The vignettes, the images, and just to give people uh, an idea, here is, can I call it a chapter, from page 104. We should go to the beach, Vera said, not turning around. Her hand rested on the handle of the screen door. Sure. She turned to look at him. He was on his phone. Vera longed for a cheeseburger. She longed for the scent of jasmine. The mixture of images, even scents there and, and such like, how, did, how would you describe your composition style? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I think I approached it because I was really interested in memory and the way that we can be in the middle of doing something but it triggers, a, you know, a memory or a, t a time from way back and it might be a smell or it might be, a, you know, music or conversation or just, yeah, it could be anything. And I think so that really played a big part in those short vignettes or the short... But it interrupts, well, not interrupts the narrative. It is the narrative, but it's yep. an unusual narrative yep. in that regard. Yeah. But it also connects time because if you can recall something because of a scent you're having in the present, it can take you to the past. And so our lives are interlinked in that way. Yep. You're down at the beach. It used to be coconut oil, I think, in my day that would remind you of the beach. Yeah. But let's have a look at Vera first and and foremost, Vera's relationship with her husband, Oswald. It's very real. Um, it works, but it doesn't work. Are they actually compatible? Yeah. Um, oh, compatible? I don't know. I, they've become used to each other. They can't seem to exist like without each other. But... They're hor like they're horrible to each other. They've 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 come to a point where they don't. But they they, they don't like each other. Yeah, but they don't all. necessarily have that much in common. No. And what brought them together in the first place? I mean, he was in a band and and such like. So yeah. it was just the moment. Yeah. Rather than the yeah. any broader. Yeah. Context, but here we go. There's an instance where uh, Vera, um, or in the story, um, where Oswald goes swimming and Vera relates a story so she's telling a story she's a storyteller um, of someone drowning yeah. and so this sort of uh, worries Oswald a little is this one of your bullshit stories he says um, and the upshot of all of this is that Oswald punches her on the arm at the end of it and which is a sort of form of childish retaliation that's the sort of cruelty it's it's very childish yeah yeah I think they're both people that haven't really grown up and um they both in a sense feel like people owe them or they're just very they're just very immature they're yeah. just stunted yeah but again here we go now with a problem because Vera actually has a story yeah. to tell, a real story that has influenced her life. And we can't actually divulge what that is. The listener's going to have to find out for themselves in many ways. But this is the story that could help her relationship with Oswald or build an understanding. Yeah. But now we've got a problem because if Vera's telling stories, 
if Oswald thinks they're bullshit stories, how do you, does one ever know when you're telling the truth? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think they're both, because they're both, uh, you know, lie and deceive each other. So there is absolutely no trust between the two of them. And so I don't think they can get to a place where... But is they that the basis? Is that the basis of a good marriage? No, <laughs> not at all. No. <laughs> what love is sweeter, seasoned with suspect, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sort of thing. But again, here we go. Vera is having an affair with Enoch. Yeah. With Enoch, Vera feels completely present. A different, more impulsive relationship, perhaps. Yeah, I think part of part of it is so when. Vera met Oswald, they were both quite young and I think this relationship with Enoch sort of brought her back to that feeling of being young and desirable. But, but there's an element of cruelty here as well, though. Absolutely, yeah. What's she doing? Or she, what does she do? Yeah, yeah. She, so she, once Enoch's sort of, I guess, served his purpose or she gets bored with him, she's very cruel. So um, I was, yeah, interested. Yep. And... Basically, I mean, um, Enoch is very naive. Yeah. He thinks this is the one yep. sort of thing. So, again, it goes into an exploration of the nature yeah. of relationships that we yeah. have yeah. in the novel. Vera's childhood relationship with Gary. Now, what's the evolution that takes place here with Gary? With Gary? So, they're family friends and they've grown up together. They were... Um, you know, very similar in age. And well, they're described as piglets together yes. at once so when they're playing yeah. together. Yeah, so it's almost this kind of twin sort of relationship. Or bit, I was always thinking of Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff and Catherine, but I wanted to sort of um, look at, uh, you know, because Catherine was always a very interesting character in that she was so difficult, mm -hmm. so I sort of wanted to do it from... Uh, Vera, the fe like a female, sort of difficult. But it becomes character. more troubled as the relationship progresses. It does, yeah, because part of it is I was interested in who is telling the story. So whoever gets to tell the story, they also get to kind of in a way control the story. They can portray themselves in a particular way. So um, you're then other people in in the narrative who aren't at the centre, who aren't telling the story, we only get bits or glimpses of what it is. So they can become victims or villains or, you know, however the protagonist or the narrator wants to portray them. So I'm, all, I'm always interested in who's telling a story and what they decide to include or exclude. Or And basically Gary's story becomes a lot more troubled. What happens? Yeah. So um, he doesn't know his father and there is a stepfather that is introduced and an element of abuse that because it happens during childhood and Vera only gets, you, you only, as a child you get a certain glimpse of what is going on or an understanding of what is going on. She doesn't really, she doesn't really get it, but it's the impact on Gary affects their relationship. Well, basically, the, the incident is two fledgling chicks yeah. uh, that the children discover and they're playing with them. Yeah. And Rod, who's um, the new partner, Sue's new partner, who's the mother of 
Gary, yeah. basically, uh, well, breaks the necks of the birds. They're a nuisance. An act of cruelty, yeah. perhaps, but practical in, in another way. We don't know the full story. But here we go with this notion of story. Yeah. It's a childhood impression. Yeah. Did they get the right story in the first place? Then it is retold over time. Yeah. So it uh, mutates. Yeah. So what's the truth in such cases? And that's the composition of our lives in yeah. many ways. Yeah. 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 Um, Vera's relationship with Annie, her oh, yes. mother. Yeah. A particularly interesting one. Again, an element of cruelty. Wait any longer and you'll end up with a retard. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. But this is the pressure uh, that can be applied yeah. from parents in some ways. Yeah, yeah. A particularly interesting field to explore? Yeah. Mother-daughter? I think as well uh, Annie comes from, she's very narrow sort of perspective, but she's also trying to survive in her own, in her own world. Um, we don't really know what what Annie's background is, but she's someone who's become quite bitter um, and doesn't seem to have much relationship with her husband, which seems to be a theme from a theme the previous coming novel. through. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, then you've got Vera and her younger sister Emmeline, and there's a social concern here, which yep. uh, brings up this notion of cultural attitudes which uh, have already been alluded to earlier today um, and again a rather brutal uh, sort of commentary um, says Vera you know I think that if you push the baby out you should choose the name I did choose the name oh I pause I just thought you just thought what well it's an unusual name so I guess I assumed married is Arabic I heard it I liked it I chose it I swear you and mum we make critical judgments yeah. all the time. Yeah. Culturally biased. Yeah. And you've filtered that through as well. Yeah. What was the reason for that? Oh, uh, I think it's just the assumptions that people make. And d despite Vera being quite educated, I think, you know, she still has a lot of her own, bi you know, her own biases that just come through and... But those biases, in many ways, comes from come from distortions yeah. of story. Yeah, all yeah, the they way do. through. Yeah, and she feels quite. And we've also got the how she views Ramesh, um, Emmeline's partner. She views him as competition as well, with her sister, with the attention from her sister. So. So we have all of these complexities yeah. of parental relationships influencing children, children's relationships and their distortion, yeah. uh, the change in children over time and the things that have happened to them, and the difficulty of telling the truth. Yeah. I'll finish with the last word from Vera, whose lines about writing seem to sum up the art of storytelling. Vera used to think that speaking words was not enough, that nobody listened and she could not say them right anyway, say them straight, 
tell the story in a manner that made sense. She thought that writing the words down was the answer because writing them might help her get them in the right order, give her time to shift and change them, rearrange them. But written words could be burned, erased. They could incriminate. And Vera knew now that speaking could work as it did when she played God on paper. What you said, the way you said it, when you said it, what you withheld, could change perspectives, influence others, shape reality. And just as with writing a story, when something didn't work, no matter how attached to it you might be, what was it they said? Kill your darlings. You had to kill your darlings to make the story stronger. Make it work. But do we tell stories to satisfy our own interpretation of what's going on? I think, I think often, yeah. I, mm. I think, yeah, particularly in her case. And it's necessary for survival. Yeah, yeah, because some, some things are really difficult to face. Like they might destroy, yeah, yeah. someone, yeah. So. Our reasons for writing. So the, <laughs> <laughs> the work is Bird Bones by Michelle Yeager, and it's from Glimmer Press, Jan. Right. Well, I was speaking with Nina Wan about her book, The Albatross, and, of course, we talked about golf, and golf being a wet-weather um, game, and there's a lovely description about weather. All through the morning it rained, the kind of rain that erased pigeon stains from the heads of public statues. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it's a very typical Melbourne weather type of scene. <laughs> Just fantastic. So I thoroughly enjoyed that book. And as I say, if you're a, a golfer or not, you'll enjoy the albatross. Yeah, and if you like birds and, and all of that. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.